This is Kate Up with Max Key. Sweet. All right, three, two, one, and we're rolling. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Keyed Up, brought to you by Max Key and proudly sponsored by Stonewood Key. Now, today's going to be a very, very interesting episode. I um, When I started this podcast project, you know, we kind of started thinking about it was about six months ago, and I wrote down five names at the time where I was like, if I can get these five people on, not only am I going to learn a lot and hopefully, you know, become a better person from it, but to me, that was the definition of success. You know, it didn't matter what kind of numbers the podcast got or how big it got, getting these people on and learning a little bit about these people, I thought, to me, that was the measure of success. And Brad, you were number one on my list, so wow. getting you on, I'm, I'm stoked about this. I'm stoked we made this happen. So, oh, Thanks, man. That's, uh, it's an honour. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's cool to yeah, be someone you wanted on the top of the list. So, uh, yeah. Cheers for having me here. Well, we have... Um, and we made it happen after yeah, um, trying two weeks ago, but... Uh, not quite, yeah, having to delay it. Yeah. So. Can do you mind sharing what, what happened or? Uh not at all. Um so oh let's go. About six months ago I ended up having to get a colostomy bag, um, just due to some bowel issues, ongoing pain issues that um that I'm still dealing with. But um so we had to get that done, which was something I kind of wanted to avoid at all costs and vowed never to get a colostomy bag but it just had to happen um and you know kind of getting used to it and then and I knew that something was bound to happen um eventually but you know how it works is it sticks to your skin around basically a part of your um your bowel or your intestine that that they poke out through the skin and that becomes basically a new a new butthole on your belly yeah um and it uh you know this the bag sticks over top of it fills up you know and then you change it out and and swap it out clean things up um and unfortunately i hadn't yeah i hadn't moved my bowels in several days and then you know a little bit came out your bag started to peel off and so i was like okay we need to change it and then right as we took the bag off the last few days worth of um, crap decided it wanted to come out. So yeah, wow. Um, just an unfortunate incident. Luckily, I was in my van, um, just parked just up the road, like on my way here, and uh, so we just had to turn around, head home, um, get me hoisted uh, back into bed, change, kind of clean me up, and get back up and on with the rest of my day. And it was something that initially I was just somewhat devastated um just obviously as anyone would be just seeing themselves pretty much um shitting on their on, into their lap uh but it just you know I've, I've come to this point with my injury and my my life and how things are for me that it's just part of it and you you know <laughs> as the saying goes shit happens yeah and uh, you just deal with it and move on with your day, and it's just just part of life. Um, but you know, and the funny thing was, I was, you know, could have kind of tucked away and in, in the van and, and not told anyone. But I ended up posting about it, yeah. um, strangely enough, and it turned into like a several day thing <laughs> where I was like, "Man, is this still going?" But um, like 
you know, I ended up putting up a poll about it, you know, who in their adult, li- yeah, adult life has shit themselves. And it was at about 80%. And yeah, the I numbers reckon, are staggering, eh? I reckon the, the 20%, you could probably cut that in half with some of them still probably not being completely honest about it. Yeah. Um, but no, it was it was funny. And it, like, I just found it's a good way to deal with those sorts of things and kind of break down the walls around it, the stigma a bit around that sort of stuff happening or just anything to do with, for me, it's with, with what my life is now and, and the things that I'm learning and having to having to adapt to. Um, but, yeah, it, it opened up a conversation. The amount of shit yourself stories that I got sent, like, in my DMs, that I was like, not necessary. Some of them are entertaining, but I was like, okay, um... But no, it just it's I just find it funny and, and it's uh, good to chat about those things and yeah. just make them less you know, I guess normalise it a little bit. I kinda hate that word normalise, but yeah, yeah. Just kinda Yeah. Yeah, well I thought your attitude with it, honestly, because when you call you call me and you're like, panic situation, like you need to call me now and I was going, Oh god, like, I hope he isn't in like a car crash or something and <laughs> I was freaking out and then yeah, you told me and then everyone's like, What happened? I'm like, Oh, um just having some like private issues like and then you know everyone because everyone knew i was real pumped for this episode and yeah. everyone's like how'd it go and i was like oh you know couldn't happen and you know i didn't want to tell anyone and then i like looked <laughs> in your story and you were like in full graphic detail so <laughs> I, I honestly I, I have so much respect for you and you know to have the balls even just to do that i think you know so and I've seen other interviews where you don't like the word like inspiring being thrown around uh, uh, like i do i didn't uh, initially it was uh it was a thing where I guess it felt for me like I I hadn't done anything. I felt like I hadn't done anything or enough to deserve it. I was like, what, well, I got injured and I'm just trying to carry on with my life? Like, yeah. that's, you know, but then, you know, I, I guess over time, like my, yeah, perspective on that sort of thing changed and just, you know, uh, obviously being in the situation I'm in, like, for anyone who's able-bodied to like imagine or picture themselves in that, it, like, I can understand how anyone would think life would be miserable mm. um, in my situation, and I thought the exact same thing. Um, and sure, it's more challenging, and um, there's a lot of things about it that I wish weren't uh, part of my daily life. But it's yeah, I'm still able to have fun and um, adventure and. I've got good mates around. I was, you know, I'm very grateful for a lot of things in my life. And, um, but yeah, that's where I do understand the, the fear based response around, uh, which I guess is where it comes from, from people going, I guess, picturing themselves in my situation, seeing how I'm handling it based versus how they feel they would. Mm. And then, so then being inspired by that. So yeah, it's not really, um, Something I yeah don't like, but I, yeah I love it actually. It's, it's there aren't many greater compliments I don't think yeah. than to inspire other people. So. Well, I think it's incredible. I mean, even you know maneuvering you to get in here, you know things that we all take for granted. You know, I'd never even thought about even walking into the studio before. You know, and to see you know just how hard it is to do even just basic things in life. You know, I have just such massive respect because I mean you're constantly out doing stuff and. You know, you you still live an amazing life, and there's a lot of people that are fully able that, 
you know, I think should and could take notes from you, you know, and I think you're like the perfect example that mind space is everything and, you know, that gets thrown around a lot. And so I just yeah. think it's pretty cool, like, actually seeing, seeing it in action. Yeah, thanks. And it, it's it's been a hell of a journey. Um, and it was funny, my, uh, Susie, my friend, who's kind of helped me out with uh, the mental battle throughout the injury and uh, was there from the moment I was in the spinal unit um, and back in New Zealand, and come and see me every week, and and she at one point told me that um, that I would be grateful for the fact that I've had to face all these challenges, and and that I'm actually um, in a way fortunate to be in this position to be able to face it all and learn about it all, because so many other people in life go through life with, with the same challenges, but maybe on a different scale mm-hmm. um, in terms of the mental struggles that we go through um, but without the time or the, the desperate need to really face them yeah um, but at the you know at the time I really really needed to learn about all that stuff because I was very depressed I was putting on a positive outer shell I was not in a good place um, and I needed to yeah needed to grab hold of my own life again and my own happiness and um, it took you know somewhat a breakdown in order to get me there um, which you know in my my book I talk about I think it's a chapter I call breakdowns to breakthroughs um, which yeah I, I think it was just that turning point for me mm. um, and I feel like I'm in such a good place mentally where again I've got daily struggles ongoing pain chronic living with chronic pain as well as um, the lack of movement and I feel like mentally I'm more capable or I'm, I'm better prepared to be able to deal with it than a lot of people are with maybe lesser struggles so they mm. may be suffering more than I am right now yeah uh, while going possibly going through something that um, yeah, it may not be as difficult, but because of the the work I've done and the learnings and, and everything that I've gone through over the last like, it's eight and a half years now. Wow. Um, which has flown by. Mm. But um, yeah, it's just it's one of those things. You can you can look at life in different ways where uh, you can be grateful for the struggles because of now reflecting back and, and seeing where we are now and from where we've come from. Uh, without those struggles, we wouldn't have been able to grow um, yeah. the way we have. So. There's a lot of people that talk about now that, um, you know, they've gone on to be successful and they actually try thrust themselves back into feelings of discomfort because, you know, there's all these studies showing that when you get too comfortable in life, you're not growing and you're not challenging yourself. And so I, I kind of get what you're saying. Obviously, you know, you're probably at the extreme version of having to go through that. Yeah. But, um Obviously, I, re- I really want to go into into everything you've done because, as I said, it is so inspiring. But I'd love to hear a bit about um, just kind of growing up in childhood because you actually know my cousin really well. Um, I do, yes, through yeah. wakeboarding. Um, yeah, uh, I grew up, you know, around Auckland. Um, Were you an Auckland boy? Yeah, so like oh. central suburbs kind of from uh, like Epsom, Remiro, Parnell, um, went to Auckland Grammar. Uh, then got sent to King's for a year, uh, weekly boarding. 
back to grammar a year later um, and then ended up leaving school uh, a year early. And I was not an academic type. Um, I, I didn't learn well at school. I wasn't focused. I was um, possibly about ADD or ADHD, um, but, you know, never never diagnosed it or anything yeah. like that. But I just really struggled with learning. I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be active. I was, um, you know, really great at, uh, you know, sports and athletics and all of that growing up and played rugby, cricket, all that uh, typical, you know, Kiwi um, upbringing. But, uh, yeah, and then found wakeboarding at about 11 years old, almost 12, I think, around that age, and just really loved it. Uh, my mum was one of New Zealand's top water skiers back when she was oh, in wow. sort of her early 20s. Um, and so as a family, we'd go water skiing. We had a little little you know boat with an outboard motor and just, um, yeah, go skiing and biscuiting and kneeboarding so- and all that sort of stuff. And one family holiday, there was a um, friend with a wakeboard there. And so I was already skateboarding and snowboarding at that point. Um, so, yeah. Got on it, loved it, never water skied again, just was all about wakeboarding and um, joined the local club at the Oroki Basin. Oh, yeah, I was going to say we were at the Oroki Basin. Yeah, and so we had, I think it was like Thursday night club nights yeah. uh, where they'd put the, the high pole up on the on the ski boat and put some extra barrels of, of water in the boat to try to sink it down and give us a better wake and uh, I went down there and... Yeah, just met a bunch of people, learned a lot. Um, you know, just really uh, at that point, that was when I was I spent my year at Kings uh, weekly boarding, and so um, Dad would come and pick me up, and I'd get to escape uh, my prison <laughs> <laughs> at that point, um, just for the afternoon, and and uh, and you know, go for a wakeboard, and even though it was only like ten, fifteen minutes on the water, and then. Um, and then off back uh, back to the boarding um, hostel. But no, it was, um, yeah, cool upbringing. And, uh, and then I just decided I'd head off to the US. And um, so I left school a year early to go and do that and uh, went back-to-back summers for uh, 10 years, uh, 21 summers in a row. Um, wow. Some of them, like some of them I'd, you know, shortened summers, like I'd be in New Zealand for a little bit of the you know, start of the winter. Um, Which is now 12 months, apparently, in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but it's, it was really cool just to travel the world and um, get to do something I really loved and never really made a lot of money from it, but um, just was able to scrape by and come home with my credit card maxed out and get a job and work it off and yeah. enough to go, be able to go back and do it over again. And, um, yeah, it's crazy the people with like board sports and stuff like that in general, just you guys all have this crazy passion for it. Like my, my cousin, you know, he's like married, he's like mid-30s, he like still lives in a van and he just chases winter all year and, you know, he's married a girl on the US ski team and they live this crazy life, but like I'd find it so stressful, but they love it. Yeah, I remember even Riley. He came and stayed with us a couple of years, a um, couple of seasons in a row, I think it was, in Orlando, and he was always, yeah, always just frothing on it, like, yeah. you know, as we were at the time. And um, he was snapping photos, and yeah, he got some actually really cool photos that I remember that he, mm. he shot of me, and 
I know he's been um, been doing a bit of that with um, like uh, snow sports and stuff as well. Yeah, no, nah, he. Um, I went and stayed with him. We all we all ended up crashing in his van together. I was like lying in between him and his wife. <laughs> it was a very intimate way to hang out with your cousin. Oh, nice. And um, he had this dog called Blue. I'm not sure if it's still alive, but it was it was pretty ancient. Even this is in 2019. Um, he's living in Lake Tahoe now, yeah. and it it had bowel problems and. His wife gave it some macaroni cheese. And so we're lying in this van. It's like negative 15 outside. And this dog just kept dropping bombs. And oh, <laughs> it was no. so gross. And they were eating like cold canned beetroot. And like they tried reheating chicken three times in a row. And I was like, I can't do this, guys. Like, <laughs> this is this is too much. Oh, that's great. Yeah, but hey, life on the road, you know. I just remember couch surfing and um, just, yeah, that's just kind of what you do when you're pursuing something you love and you're scraping by and um, yeah, like it's it was an interesting approach. Mum was always a bit stressed up for me about um, oh you know what if what if you don't make it you know what what's your plan next and or your your backup plan and um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I just had this confidence and, and also just this love for it that it didn't really matter to me that I wasn't making money. Obviously, there was it was stressful at the time, but, like, I was just able to do what I loved. Um, and I kind of just figured I would find a path along the way that um, somewhat, you know, was starting to happen. I was ended up picking up the microphone, you know, just through being injured at certain times throughout my career and I'd be at a contest and so I'd pick up the mic to then still be of value to my sponsors and still be a part of the event. Yep. And um, then became a co-announcer for the Pro Wakeboard Tour in the US, uh, which helped me, you know, I didn't have to pay my entry fees and accommodation and stuff for those Pro Tour events, which then took the pressure off me and my writing. It was like, okay, I'm no longer going to lose money if I don't make the top 10. It's now I'm breaking even regardless. Uh, so, you know, kind of, I guess it was just my mindset and the way that, you know, I changed it um, by picking that up. And so I was like considering, because I've done, you know, modeling and, and a bit of uh, like TV commercials and stuff um, growing up. And so I was thought about, you know, I could steer that into presenting mm. um, or some career in that. And then also when I was wakeboarding, I got this job as an um, on-site manager for my um, our wakeboard sponsor at Border Lake in Florida and uh, our property. And it was our, like, team training facility. Wow, um, and so I ended up going in and just working my ass off and – securing the job as the on-site manager again just to kind of live there it was just yeah, the dream yeah. and then not pay, having to pay rent not having to pay for writing anymore it was just cutting these costs away were there like alligators um, and shit in the alligators water moccasins snakes oh, um, they're real poisonous moccasins aren't they? yeah yeah they're pretty ruthless and uh, they're also i mean depends on the time of year but they can be quite aggressive as well yeah. like they come after you whereas there's rattlesnakes there as well, um, but the rattlesnakes they you know rattle to be like, hey buddy, like I'm here, yeah, back yeah. off, you know, it's not they're not going to come at you, they don't actually want to bite you, but <laughs> moccasins. Yeah, there's been times we've seen them um, just like 
we're, I've never been too close to one in, in the lake, but I've been in the boat when we've been on a different lake and there was um, a friend of mine in the water and it's moccasin pops his head up and it was probably, I don't know, maybe 20 metres away from oh. my buddy who was already hanging on to the end of the rope, about to get pulled up out of the water. But uh, the guy driving was kind of messing with him a little bit. Oh. He was like not actually pulling him out of the water, <laughs> oh, just dragging him there really slowly. Oh. Um, but it, it was further away than it seemed, but it's still... That's super, way too close. Oh, still. too <laughs> close. Um, and it was spooky because I was living in a trailer at Lake Roanoke with uh, no power, no running water. I mean, I had a small generator that was powering um, a little air conditioning unit uh, one light, phone charger, laptop charger, and that was about it. Um, and I would bathe in the lake every morning or in the evening. Would never do it at night in the dark. Um, <laughs> but even then, in the morning, if I'm out there on my own, sort of in the middle of nowhere, uh, it, yeah, it was always in the back of my mind. Yeah, like, it sounds like the start of every horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were in um we were playing golf over New Year's um in Georgia, yeah. and they had water moccasins there, and man, like the, I didn't see any because I think it was too cold. But they were telling us stories about like people like trying to find golf balls and getting bit and oh yeah, well a friend of mine's got one of the like a super viral video that was all over like ESPN, and it's him walking up and taking his um, golf shot with an alligator right in front of him. Like the alligator's just kind of walking. Oh, I've seen that. Is that... Yeah, it's oh. a buddy of mine. Um, and uh, yeah, but it's, it's just Florida. Yeah, yeah well, there's there's this other video that went viral on the Golf Channel and um, it's like these two guys and one sees an alligator and he goes up and he literally smacks it on the tail and it swims off. And then another guy sees it and starts screaming and he like runs away and they'll literally like guess who the Florida local is. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, so one question I did want to kind of go into is, so say with the wakeboarding, like, um, so just for the people that don't know, so my cousin Riley was super into wakeboarding and um, him and Brad, you know, knew each other. And, um, you know, Riley was always the nutter of our house. Like we had this trampoline at our old house and he would literally jump out of the second story and do like a front flip out of the window onto this trampoline. And, you know, he was always tearing his ACLs and he was just, crazy like he was always the like the super fun one in the family did you have any idea of you know because it's one thing you know it's like say you go skiing everyone goes well there's a risk you hit a tree and do what michael schumacher did but everyone sits there and goes oh but it won't happen to me did were you kind of even like conscious of the risks of what you were doing or i was conscious of the risks but not to this extent yeah um and i was prepared to take those risks because i like the, at around the time of my accident, it was I was 27 years old, um, which is starting to get reasonably old for a pro wakeboarder. Like, and at that point, I I still hadn't cracked it. I was still, um, you know, battling to try and get on some good salaries, and um, and so I was really, really pushing myself to be noticed that year. It was like for me, it was kind of a pivotal season as to whether I was going to continue to focus on trying to be that top pro athlete or if I was going to maybe steer into something um, something else that I could find um, from the path I was on. 
And but yeah, I was just pushing it. That's why I was, you know, I'd landed that um, the trick that I landed, um, which is a double tantrum to blind, so a double backflip with a backside one eighty rotation, um, and landing backwards down a mega ramp as oh. opposed to like what traditional wakeboarding behind a boat or yeah. on a cable system. Um, so this was on a you know pulled behind a cable similar to you know like a T bar on a on a um, snow slope and it you know tows you back and forth but we had one at Lake Roanoke that was we had a elevated pull uh, which is maybe I don't know two meters above the lake level and um, so we had a ramp coming out of that pool over a land gap of I don't know 70 feet something um, and then landing down this big floating landing ramp and so I was pushing myself, I was doing double backflips over it. I'd in Germany for an event landed a double backflip to blind over it. And then I was back at Lake Ronix and, and really going for it again. And I you know, I wanted to win trick of the year. Um, I wanted there to be no question as to who the sponsors wanted to pick up that year, like um, after Wake Awards and Surf Expo and all these big events. So, and that was that was happening. Uh, you know, I'd landed that trick. I was going to win Wake, uh, the Trick of the Year award, um, and then yeah, I was just pushing the limits, tr- really trying to land it for for a movie we were filming, and the limits pushed back. But it was you know I'd already at that point, well up until that point, I'd already blown my knee, I'd already done my shoulder, I'd already broken bones and split you know my chin open and. Um, it, it, I was, yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of enjoyed the battle. No, I didn't enjoy the injuries, but enjoyed the part of it that was just like pushing myself and taking crashes and then conquering it. And, yeah. um, it was just such a, such a part of the sport, um, that some people aren't programmed for, I guess they're not wired mm-hmm. that way. And, um, but yeah, and then I just, yeah, I really thought that, um, I guess I never never thought that this could happen because it never had happened to yeah. a pro wakeboarder in you know any sort of wakeboarding setting that I knew of. And uh, yeah, it was just because we'd taken it to a new side of the sport, there was now a solid object to land on as opposed to uh, crashing into the water. Uh, again, for me, that was sort of maybe somewhat in the way that I crashed or the way that it all went down was just how I'd been programmed for 15 years before that of wakeboarding. And, um, and you know, I just, maybe my body or my brain knew to try to fall a, diff- a certain way, which now didn't work because I was landing on a solid, solid object. object so. Yeah. so what, can you talk us through, if you don't mind talking about the actual day of the crash? Yeah, so it was Sunday morning, 6th of July, uh, 2014, and we're filming for a movie called Prime. Uh, and, yeah, all the, the crew got there, and it was sort of, yeah, late after, uh, late morning. And um, me and one of my teammates, Austin Pratt, uh, we'd started off... Oh, sorry, not Pratt, sorry, Dean Smith. Uh, we'd started off um, going back and forth together, taking turns, and my buddy Pratt and a couple of others um, had showed up 
to to ride and they were getting ready and um yeah uh it was just for me i was i was landing some double flips i was trying to get warmed up into it it wasn't really feeling like a super on day for me but it was our last chance to film for that that movie so uh i'd already landed the double flip i knew that people were somewhat expecting to see the double tantrum of blind um as a, kind of the final banger for the, the Lake Roanoke section that we're filming. And so, yeah, I just kind of, uh, for me, it was almost like there was no choice of not landing it. Um, so I just had to keep going. I had to keep pushing. And by that point, uh, we were maybe 20, 25 minutes into the session. And, you know, I wasn't super fatigued, but maybe my legs were getting a little bit um, soft and so when I was trying to land I couldn't stomp through the landing and I kept slipping out and then yeah just uh, had this point uh, it was kind of like when I learned to do a double flip um, you tuck really fast into the into the flip but then open out straight away just to drift through the rest of a single flip and just kind of to feel how fast you can flip and if you got the time for it um, and that was also a bailout point. Okay, if something feels wrong, I can open out and do a single flip. Um, but yeah, I just bailed out too late, and it just uh, yeah, kind of all slowed down. And I, you know, tugged on the handle, tried to save it, and was literally ninety degrees short of completely saving it, or you know, at least landing and not um, probably not getting injured at all. But yeah, I just I. Was 90 degrees short, so I ended up toes down into the ramp and tumbled forward. And uh, yeah, it, it all went black, and it was all just chaos after that. So, and what what's the actual injury you got? C4 level, uh, it's called Asia A level or grade, which is kind of basically complete. There's no movement below or feeling below the level of injury. That um, so it kind of gives me. A shoulder shrug but I don't have bicep function so I can't lift my arms up um, and then my my feeling kind of stops across the across my chest and shoulders sort of like a line of feeling that just sort of fades and then there's below that it's um it's no no skin sensation but I do feel a lot internally pain wise oh. nerve pain um, you know my my digestive system I feel like I'm feeling it more of what or I just maybe feel it differently to what how I felt it before but maybe it was because I had skin sensation on the outside to to mask it or um or something but well don't they talk about um like say when someone's blind they often have really good hearing or you know the other senses almost as you said maybe it's because the other ones are dulled down so they just notice it more or yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I don't know what the science is, or you know, if that one's been myth busted or not. But yeah. um, I I definitely noticed that I've become more hyper aware of my surroundings. Yeah. Um, and you know, it can be little things like even just knowing to any you know, I'm coming here. Okay, what's the doorway like? Can you send me mm. photos? Are there steps? You know, just knowing to prepare for all all of those things. But I just because I you know, and other things like because I can't put things away anywhere. I don't have, uh, you know, unless I'm 
actually telling people and guiding them through everything. But it, I just kind of become really aware of where things are because I have to because I'm yeah. not the one putting them away. Or And there's a little bit of um, uh, sort of being quite particular about where things go because I've got, let's say, seven or eight different caregivers that work for me throughout the week and help me out with whether it's putting washing away or, you know, helping me get up in the morning. Um, and... Everyone has their own way of doing things, yeah. slightly different, and their own, you know, things make sense in different ways to different people, and so I, it's quite challenging, really. Uh, but you know, you, it's kind of to a certain extent you got to be really particular, and um, but then to other things, it's kind of like, okay, what's easier here? Me being more tolerant, or um, you know, having to really teach everyone. Yeah. to be, you know, uh, perfect. But, um, you know, and you can't expect uh, complete perfection. It's just, no. um, you know, it's, it's just one of the one of the many uh, different things about this injury that, you know, can be challenging, but also, you know, as I said earlier, it's kind of through challenges we... Get stronger. Get stronger and, um, yeah. One question I did have for you is, I don't understand the difference between a quadriplegic and a tetraplegic. Are they the same thing? I'm pretty sure as far as I know it's the same thing. It's just kind of different terminology or tetraplegic, I believe, is the newer terminology for quadriplegic. Um, There might be other factors, um, possibly whether it's, you know, um, a certain amount of arm movement. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm... I should really know the, the ex- proper answer to that question, but uh, as far as I know, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. yeah. So after the injury, so obviously, you know, you've done the trick, you try bail out, you don't land it. What kind of happened in the moment? Like, do you remember anything? Or um, I remember waking up and immediately going, like, in my mind, like I, I couldn't move, I kind of, obviously had the, the immediate shock of that. But in my mind, I went back to this injury that I'd had several years earlier, or as a crash I had where I got KO'd for a second and then um, then I couldn't move, but within about 30 seconds it all came back and mm. everything was fine. I had a pretty bad concussion, but, um, yeah, nothing long-term um, came from that. But then... So I went there mentally. I'm like, okay, no, it's just like that time. You know, like, it'll come back. Don't worry. Um, but, yeah, my buddies were swimming me into the shoreline at that point. And um, after 30 seconds, a minute, you know, nothing was coming back. And, you know, five minutes, ten minutes. And then uh, I remember asking at first, I was, I, when not long after I woke up, like probably within the first minute, uh, I remember asking, oh, where's my board? And um, as if that mattered at that point. But, uh, you know, and my buddy was like, yeah, no, it's still on your feet. Like Your, your, your feet are still in your boots. Um, and then they get me to the shoreline, and the next thing I ask again, oh, you know, I can't feel my board, or what's up with my bo- um Can you take my board off? And he was like, oh, no, it's already off. And that is when it started to kind of sink in. I'm like man, I can't feel anything. Like it's, 
Because um, yeah, that was this is like a really dumb question, but what does it feel like? I don't even know if you can explain that. It's I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's different for some people, but for me, it's just a tingling nerve sensation throughout my whole body. Like actually, you know, when you fall asleep on your arm and you mm. wake up and you like even scratch your skin and you can't actually feel you know your yeah, skin. Yeah. Um, you know, when it's fully gone to sleep, it feels like that, but uh, probably a bit more intense. Um, and then the internally, like the nerve pains that I've got, which is kind of just like, yeah, pins and needles type sensation, but almost like you've gone from uh, an ice bath into a hot tub and oh. you get that real like yeah, strong yeah. pins and needles, but it's kind of more of a cold burning sensation. It's like that all the time. All the time. Um, and so I've gotten used to that. But then now for the last year and a half, I've got an added chronic pain um, that, yes, to do with my lower abdomen, bowel, something, you know, the, I've had a couple of surgeries last year, but uh, even still, you know, the pain's ongoing. Things have, have improved since last year, but... Um, yeah, there's a few things we're investigating to try and figure out what's what's going on there. But um, yeah, all sorts of uh, sorts of feeling. Um, but yeah, it's it's a weird one to to have someone like. Uh, I guess the strangest one for me was when someone grabbed my hand and put it to my face, and it felt like someone else's hand was touching my face. Whoa! Um, and is this sorry? Because so so were you? kind of awake and conscious like after like did you pass out at any point yeah after? i was unconscious like when when my i first hit and yep. you know my buddies got to me like one of them kind of thought i was dead already like they'd flip me over and i was blue in the face and my eyes were open but i wasn't i wasn't there like i wasn't responding holy shit um and so then i but then i woke up um, they were they'd kind of pulled me half up onto a stand up paddleboard that they'd taken out with them, um, and they were about to try and do CPR right then and there. But then, yeah, I, I like to make the joke that I must have known one of my buddies was about to put his mouth to mine, and I, I just started <laughs> breathing on my own and woke up. And if they um, did CPR, would that have could that have like killed you or? Uh, no, it, I mean, it, I would. If they needed to do CPR, then I probably would have, yeah, died anyway, um, had they not. But uh, I'd, I'd say it wouldn't have worked very well on a stand-up paddleboard. I don't oh. know how well you can actually really compress someone's chest enough to yeah, pump the like, heart. Yeah. Um, but, no, I don't think it, it couldn't have made... I mean, there's the potential that it could have made the spinal cord injury worse had that happened or even, you know, the way things went down, it, it may have made things get worse. But at the end of the day, they needed to get me out of the water. It was yeah. more important to get me breathing than to worry about what's going on with my neck um, totally. at that point. And uh, so then, so what happened there? So you're lying on the beach and, well, not the beach, but the shore. And, yeah. you know, you're kind of like, you know, you're freaking out. Then, then what kind of, what happened? Well, m money was one of the thoughts going through my head. How how much is this all going to cost? Uh, like, 
one of my friends was on the phone um, to the ambulance or the you know whoever it was and um, they, he mentioned something about bringing in the helicopter and I was like no absolutely not like I cannot afford that like what are you doing <laughs> you know um, well America's crazy yeah it is and uh, but obviously you know the helicopter did come in and you know it's a lot more important to obviously get me out of there oh, safely 100%. and yeah. um but yeah i was worried because i had i didn't have insurance um uh, i was sort of that was my first year going over there for more than six months because i'd just got i'd gotten a proper working visa mm. or a, an athlete visa um where i was allowed to earn money um i was allowed to stay for up to five years and so i wasn't going to come back that um, that US winter uh, for our summer, and um, and so I was kind of in between my travel insurance, and then I was kind of looking into um, you know I think there was like Obamacare and all these other yeah, whatever yeah. options there were that I was looking into, and um, then obviously that happened, and so yeah, all these things I was freaking out about. They got the helicopter came in. I kind of yeah I remember. Uh, parts of the helicopter flight felt like I was sort of maybe in and out for a bit. Of, it wasn't long, and then, then they had me out onto the um, yeah the top of the hospital and um, through yeah from the helipad through to getting an MRI straight away. And uh, I think I fell asleep in the MRI machine and um, don't remember anything for a week after that. Wow. So um, yeah, I, I don't know what it was, whether it was the, cause the there was a nine-hour surgery um, that I think was either that that night or the next morning, possibly, um, after my injury, which was at about 11 a.m., I think, the injury happened. Um, nine-hour surgery, uh, I've got a couple of rods, a plate, and 14 screws in my neck, as well as a cadaver vertebrae, so a uh, donated dead person's uh, vertebrae that they've replaced mine with. Um, and so maybe the surgery or it could have been the, you know, might have been part of the concussion, the meds, concoction of all of them, mm. possibly uh, trauma block of mental thing. I, I really don't know, but I very um, vividly remember the morning the first morning waking up um, and but that was because it came after a very intense hallucination which I've written about all of this stuff all in a lot of detail in my book um, which came out what was it yeah, six months ago now um, and so like it just my I think for I can't even remember why my my temperature skyrocketed um, well, I, I had pneumonia. I had also, when you have a spinal cord injury, your um, temperature regulation, uh, thermoregulation uh, disappears. Huh? So I, yeah, I can get really cold really easily, and you know I don't tend to get like I don't sweat when I get hot. So my you know, my skin doesn't sweat, so it doesn't cool me down. Um, but anyway, I got yeah. Uh, I think it was up to 108 degrees Fahrenheit, so like 42 degrees. Jeez. Um, which you at that point you're verging on, like actually on you know, lasting brain damage. Yeah, yeah. Um, if if that happens for too long, 
And uh, so it was the first time my nurse had ever seen anyone covered like neck to toe with ice. Uh, they just came in with bags of ice and just poured it over my bed. Um, and uh, yeah, they managed to get me cooled down, but I, th- I was hallucinating. I thought I'd been kidnapped. Uh, I thought people were trying to kill me. Uh, thought I wasn't even in a hospital. I was in some weird, dark, cold, damp hallway somewhere. Uh, it was very, very frightening. Um, and and I even got to the point where I felt and I kind of conceded to death almost at that point. I thought that's what was happening in the scenario. I couldn't understand why I couldn't move. I thought I'd been drugged or something like that. Um, and yeah, and then the next morning I woke up and didn't realize I was in a hospital. Thought the nurse who was walking into the room was the girl I'd gone home with the night before from no downtown and didn't remember anything because I'd gotten so drunk or something like that. And I just was waking up into this, yeah, foreign space with a gorgeous girl walking in the room that was naturally, I'm like, oh, that must have happened, you know, and then tried to sit up, tried to say good morning, couldn't do either of them because uh, I was on, on a ventilator and so you can't speak. Um, and yeah, then that's when it all kind of crashed in on me. Um, Fuck, that's heavy. Yeah. When did, so then, then what happens? At what point do you find out that, you know, you're a quadriplegic? Uh, I mean, pretty much straight away it all kind of came back to me, like the whole crash, everything I remembered from up until falling asleep in the MRI. So, uh, that all kind of, yeah, flooded back in, but I still believed that I'd been kidnapped the night before. Like, I still was hanging on to that one. Like, uh, that was part, uh, something that took a little while. And my mum was there. Um, she had arrived by that point. Um, well, she had she got there the next day and had been with me all week. Like, my brother had come and gone already by that point, by the time I'd sort of woken up and was remembering things. Um, and, yeah, and then that's, yeah, that was the start of five weeks of, hell um, in the ICU, battling pneumonia, trying to learn to breathe again on my own. Um, Just, yeah, a lot of dark thoughts, uh, you know, pretty much not wanting to live, but then going, even if I wanted to kill myself, I can't. Like, you know, it's like even if I could hold the gun, I couldn't pull the trigger. But then I was like, even if I could, I wouldn't want to. So it's like if I, you know, the the fact of arm movement and hand movement to me was the deciding factor as to whether life was worth living. Well, um, what were your initial thoughts when it kind of all came? Because one of my biggest fears in life is um, this. Because something similar happened to my other cousin Tim. I'm not sure if you know him, mm. but he um, he had a massive snowboarding crash when I was about 12. Yeah. And he um, he tried doing some trick, I'm, I'm not sure what, but he did something similar to you, but he landed on his jaw and he like shattered his whole kind of jaw and face. Wow. And he woke up like four or five days later and, you know, he um, he didn't obviously have spinal cord injuries, but, you know, he's been having like seizures and it's caused like quite long-term issues for him. But same thing, he woke up like a week later and didn't know where he was. And that's just always instilled this fear in me of, you know, that waking up and, you know exactly what happened to you so what what actually went through your mind you know when you wake up and you it's like that's your reality now 
Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think how I've, I've described it because yeah, I, I I had to go through a lot of uh, remembering all the stuff as details as I could for for writing the book, which took like six years, um, and that it was it was very healing to do so as well to like address it all again. But yeah, it was um, it was just uh, I felt worthless. I felt like um, you know, no one was ever gonna love me or want to be with me. I felt like um, you know, immediately it was like, oh my god, like I can't wakeboard anymore. I can't play the guitar anymore. I can't have sex anymore. Holy fuck, I can't have sex anymore. Like. That was just the the one that really got me, like, um, and yeah, it was, it's really, everything that was important to me, I felt, was gone. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really hard to kind of remember 100% what, where, you know, what the specific thoughts were, but it was just a whirlwind of, of just misery and kind of, I was very lucky to have, you know, the visitors that would come and see me and people had flown in from all around the U.S. Um, and, and, and from, you know, from New Z- uh, Jesse come in from New Zealand. My family had come over. Um, brother had come across from London. You know, and to have those people around is what really turned things around for me. And um, seeing, like, fundraisers being organised for me, getting messages flooding in, um... You know, and, and I was, like, quietly stoked that my, my Instagram following went from, like, 3,000 to over 10K. I got I got the 10K, you know, like yeah, I got the shortened version. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Giving one of my friends crap because he's, like, really wanted to get over 10K. I'm like, how how much do you want? Yeah, how bad do you want that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shortcut. <laughs> I shouldn't um, be laughing for that. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, so it uh, I don't know. It was it was really uplifting to to have that support, um, and I you know I feel very grateful to to have had that. And you know a lot of people don't have that when they have this sort of an injury. Um, and I think it, it was kind of somewhat gratifying as well in a way that okay, I must have done something right if this this many people care. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was very touching and just kind of got to the point where I was like, well, all right, um, doctors have given me a one to 2% chance of ever regaining upper limb function. Uh, forget even mentioning walking again. Um, and I was like, oh, well, I'll fight those odds. You know, and I was like, I've, I've beaten those sorts of odds in the past with, you know, being an unknown kid from New Zealand who'd never had a proper wakeboard boat in his life and is out there, you know, landed a 1080. He was the fourth person in the world to do it wow. behind three of, like, the biggest legends, uh, you know, some of the biggest legends in the in the sport. And um, the odds of doing that, I think, obviously very much against me. And um, same with the double tantrum to blind, like, I don't know. I just felt like I'd I'd kind of beaten those sorts of odds before or close to it. So, 
because that's what I wanted to ask you. Do you think being a pro athlete actually prepped you to deal with this more so than someone that... 100%. Yeah. Uh, and that's that thing. It's, uh, adversity can be an asset in a way. It's mm. like the, the struggles I went through with injuries, with uh, financial struggles, with um, just the mindset of, um, I guess it's that crash, you know, crash over and over and over again just to land the trick once, um, uh, it was all just building me, you know, uh, the resilience to um, to handle this. Not that I feel like that was some laid out plan um, yeah. in any way, but more just looking back and, and being able to be grateful for um, having those struggles to then, you know, help me to be able to deal with this because, uh, yeah, I think... That and also the the help that I've had with the mental struggles and, and kind of understanding how powerful it is to know that we have control of our minds and how mm. to sort of grasp onto that. And that's something that I really wanted to try to pass on to others through writing my story and uh, and sharing it so openly. Um, and through what I, you know, share on my social media and all that sort of stuff, it's like I want to pass that on because I feel it's so valuable and um, yeah I think that's sort of the combination of of those two things is, is really how I'm able to be still you know in, in pain like right now but still able to be happy and have a smile on my face and be able to have a good time and go to concerts and you know uh, it's just uh, yeah it, it shows the, the power of the mind and um, yeah, having a good perspective, having good, a good understanding of how we operate, how our belief systems shape the way we view the world and um, how we can adjust our own belief systems to, to then, um, yeah, be able to find happiness in a situation that we never thought we could, really. Yeah. How do you deal with the moments? Because, I mean, even thinking now, you know, that I had these struggles at times and go, you know, you look at a situation like this and you're like, how on earth could I complain right now? But how do you deal with the moments like you must sit there sometimes just going, fuck, like why can't I just, you know, how do you how do you deal in moments like that where, you know, where you're feeling a bit vulnerable and you're just over it, you just want to go for a run or, you know. So those ones, I have those moments sometimes, especially if I'm at a concert. Yeah. Like I'm just, you know, I was at a Fat Boy Slim concert the other day or a few weeks ago and it was just the best vibe going on and I I still to this day, like I'll get these moments and these thoughts and feelings coming in. I'm just better at dealing with them and um, uh, working through them. So like, you know, just that, oh, I just wish I could be up and just dancing. Like, I, you know, I'm with my brother and a couple of friends and they're all, dancing around me and it's like and, and I guess that's uh, it's frustration but then it's also a little bit of jealousy when it comes to looking at you know others being able to do it and me not being able to do that and it's yeah it's just an uh, immediate kind of uh, I have this almost like a, an, a, an alert that pops up on your phone it just goes bing and it's like oh feeling of jealousy um, you know it's, it's not about a comparison Everyone's, you know, got their own things going on. Um, life 
Well, basically, comparison is the killer of joy. Um, so at the, the end of the day, I'm in this situation. Um, like, it's kind of, it's these workings that I've gone through over the years of sitting with these emotions and going, okay, why am I feeling this? What led me to this feeling? Uh, what is the belief behind that feeling? Um, and it's, uh, I guess it's that self-analyzing, um, a bit of uh, that metacognition, and really just knowing ourselves and going, okay, you know, understanding it all and kind of working through it over and over again uh, because if the emotion keeps coming up, there's more work to be done there. Yeah. So I would just, yeah, sit with it and get better at dealing with it each time and understanding the belief behind it. And, and really, at the end of the day, it's I'm a very logical person. So if something makes sense to me and if it's factual or if it's, you know, cut and dry, then it's um, something that I'm able to just switch to that quite, quite often and override an emotional re- response. Mm. Um, so, if, you know, if I'm starting to feel that way, then it's like very quickly I'm like, but I can't. You know, oh, I wish I could be dancing. I wish I could do this, but I can't. So what do I have control of? Yeah. What can I do? And it's switching to that positive aspect as opposed to I wish or this is how it should be or any of those feelings of, of um, which are kind of somewhat victim mindset um, and just things that I don't have control of and just going, okay, well, this is what I control. My attitude, my effort, my actions. Pretty much that's, um, you know, you can, those things cross over each other. There's probably a few things um, but that tie in with those uh, that you could use as examples. But to me, that's the the most simple way of putting it. Attitude, yeah. effort, actions. And again, it's like coming back to that quite quickly and going, all right, well, that, that is what it is. Um, and so this is my options. Because I can either be miserable and go, wow, I wish I could be doing this. Or I could be like, you know, dancing my shoulders and head and just having the most epic time and focusing on what's uh, great about the moment as opposed to what I wish. Um, and I think that that is the most powerful way that we can look at life and it's going, it's a position of gratitude for what we have, what we can do, who we are, yeah. um, owning that. And I guess that's where I kind of got the title of the book, Owning It, was... Yeah. Uh, me feeling like I'm, I'm tired of even having to accept this. Acceptance is powerful, but it also felt slightly submissive to me. Um, so I was like, well, what's more powerful than acceptance? And that's owning it. Um, so that's how we end up with the title of the book. And that's kind of, I guess, my motto in life. It's, yeah. it's um, taking the things we do have control of and that, that we are grateful for and steering our energy toward that because that's the thing that we really do have control of where we steer our our energy yeah um and that actually came from the seven huna wisdoms um which were given to to me yeah Yeah. hawaiian wisdoms are like the world is what you think it is energy flows where attention goes 
uh, to love is to be happy with. I think that was one that I kind of had to uh, wrap my head around. A few other ones, like just kind of trying to really grasp the meaning of them. Um, but yeah, it was a constant scenario where I was like, energy flows where attention goes. Um, or, you know, now uh, now is the moment of power, which is around presence. You know, um, and yeah, so just kind of taking those and, and just, you know, I was at a Milky Chance concert, which was like six months after my accident, first time out of the spinal unit. And I'm, again, feeling very ungrateful, you know, uh, jealous looking at my brother dancing and um, other people were all having a good time. And I'm like, well, no. And I just steered my attention right at the stage. And I just decided to like soak in what, you know, what was good about the moment. And that's when I was like, ah, energy flows where attention goes. Okay, cool. Like, yeah. It was just, you have these moments where they, they really stick. They'll collect um, And yeah, so that's, that's quite a powerful one. One question I had, and I just want to make sure I phrase this in the right way, but how was it when, so the only example I can give is we have a friend that got diagnosed with, um, they got pancreatic cancer and he got stage four and he got told he had like three months to live. He was only about 50 at the time. And so it was pretty heavy for everyone and, you know, he had this crazy outpouring of support and, you know, everyone was there for him and rallied behind him and He's actually survived for 10 years. Wow. He's like nearly one of the longest living pers- people in the world with the pain. Like he had like a 0.01 chance of surviving more than three months or something. Wow. And so what my question was going to be is I know that at times, you know, because his kids were like 12 at the time and they're 20 and one of them's married. And mm. at the time, you know, he had this huge outpouring of support. And then over the years, you know, there's been lots of other people that have died and had these prognoses and, He's just kind of kept chugging along. And I know that at times people haven't forgotten about him, but they kind of not, they've just, it's just all, it's been the the thing for the last 10 years. So, Mm. you know, I guess where I'm going with this is obviously when you had the crash, you know, you would have had this crazy outpouring of support and you said you had all these people around you. Have you found as the years have gone on, not that people have forgotten, but have, has that kind of fallen off? Like, have you ever felt like, and I'm not trying to like phrase that that yeah, the no, people are bad or no 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 I get what you're saying and um I mean it, it has and it naturally does and that's just um that's just part of it but no the real ones is, is you know still around and it's um uh it's and it's not that um yeah I would never think negatively of anyone who's not been in touch as much as they were you know all of a sudden they reached out after the accident. Um, and there was a a momentary frustration around that going, okay, well, like, no one, you know, where was the support before my accident? Like, I wouldn't have had to be um, trying tricks that I was going to, you know, almost kill myself on if I had some of the funding that, you know, or like all the sponsors or the... Um, I don't know, like there, there was just all these things that were coming after my accident, like I got cover a wakeboarding magazine, I won trick of the year, I'd, and I mean that would have happened anyway, but like um, I won like number one um, in the in the wakeboarding magazine's reader polls and things like that. And there was, at first, I'm like, oh, it would have been nice if all this shit happened 
before. Oh, I got a pro pro model wakeboard, like, but only after my accident to raise money for me, not because I deserved it before my accident. And it was like momentary frustration there, but then you know you you kind of understand that a people are coming out of the you know out of nowhere that didn't seem to care before or had barely would say hi to me at a contest are now like wanting to come and visit. And yeah, there was a momentary kind of ill feeling around that, but then it's like, well no, they just they care. Like they mm. they they, they want to reach out. Um, and it's it's just a different moment and different kind of situation that um, at the time, yeah, you you need that support. Um, and I've been very lucky with the support that I've had and the money that was raised and, and also very lucky that, that we have things like ACC in New Zealand. Very lucky that I was able to get covered by ACC by having my injury overseas. Um, and with the support I get from them and from the government. And, um, and yeah, like I've been able to kind of set myself up in a way that... Um, yeah, like I've been able to apply some of the money that was raised in, in ways that it wasn't just going to disappear, you know, sit in a bank account and just get whittled away over, over the years. Um, so it's been invested well. It's, it's gone to helping me for my future long term. Um, so I'm very, very grateful for the, the support that came in when it did. And, yeah, and people, it's... Um, no, it's cool. Things come in waves. Like, you know, yeah. I, I knew that after the book came out that there'd be some excitement and I'll catch up with people again that I hadn't seen in a while. Like, and, um, you know, you get the media attention again and, um, you know, I've got some other things coming up that I'm sure we'll, we'll do that again. And, and But, yeah, that's just, just how things are. Like, I don't, um, yeah, I just kind of, again, like to take it from an angle of, being grateful for the support I had at the time, not um, trying to, you know, ungrateful that it's it's not like ongoing, but I wouldn't expect it to be. Yeah, and, yeah. and and but it is still in uh, in the right moments and in the right settings. And if it's needed, then I'm sure uh, the support would be there. And and so for me, it's like I feel like my my time's done there, but I'm in a good way. Like I'm yeah, I'm yeah. now in a position where. I want to be of support for people in, in ways that I can be, and um, you know. So if you know, there's people who have new injuries, and I'll go and go to the spinal unit and, and just try to have a chat with them and answer any questions and try to just alleviate the some of the fears around you know what life might be like. And yeah, what kind of things do they ask you? Um, I mean, <laughs> most guys will ask about sex. Yeah, because um, that, that was actually something. That, so can you have sex? I can. Um, to put it, yeah, like to expand on that, if you will. <laughs> uh, I can start, but I can't finish in a way. So it's, yeah. But it's um, still apparently a possibility. Um, you know, it's whether it's something like trying to get my arms moving, you just got to practice. Or Can you feel um, anything on that? I can feel... Very, very minimal, maybe two to five percent of what first entry used to feel like. Yeah, I, I get like just a little tingle, um, and it's you know I'm grateful for that two percent. <laughs> you know, it's sort of it's it's one of very few 
positive or pleasurable feelings that I get below my level of injury. Um, and how is it that you can feel that? I think for me, because like I think some people they don't feel anything below their injury, like not even the nerve pains or think other things that I feel. So I think because my injury was a crush, it wasn't a straight sever mm. or anything. So it's still all somewhat attached, but it's just like squeezing a banana, you know, and it just mushes it all up. Ooh. It doesn't actually like, um, you know, it's not like a bundle of cables like yeah, people yeah. would imagine it to be. Um, but I think in a way there may be, like look, even looking at my MRI, the way it looks is you've got your the spinal cord is like a dark gray line, you know, with the white um, spinal fluid around it. Um, and then I've I've got like a clump of white scar tissue that shows up, um, but you can see little patches of gray kind of in the middle, which to me is the spinal cord still intact. Um, so there might be signals still going through, which is why I feel nerve pain. That's why I feel the pain's going on below my level of injury, but um, I suppose in a way it gives me that 2% as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that may actually kind of have me physically set up for recovery better if there were like a, a and this is all hypothetical, uh, like, you know, a, a treatment of some sort that was, you know, might be able to help reconnect the spinal cord or something then, I don't know, like that that might put me in an advantageous position yeah, with that, but I'm just kind of guessing at that point. Because this is a stupid question, but why why can't you move your... So is it the spinal cord has... Like what's actually stopping you from... Yeah, it's, uh, from moving and feeling. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah, the imagine... Um, the connection from the brain, obviously, the meshes get sent, sent down, and so the spinal cord is sort of like your big bundle of wires that would probably go um, down the street, you know, and then it branches off at each house to go and, you know, give them their, their fiber or Wi-Fi or whatever it is. Um, and so as you're going down the street, you know, you, you're kind of branching out to different parts of the road, and it's the same thing with the spinal cord. So at different levels, so as you go down the spine, um, it will affect different parts of the body. So generally it's the further you go down, the more movement you get. Uh, so C4 level injury, I've got my shoulder shrug. C5 would give you bicep function. C6 kind of, I think, gets into a little bit of forearm. C7, maybe a bit of tricep or something like that, maybe... You know, and then wrist function, you know, fingers, uh, the further you get down. Um, and then that's where you get, like, the difference between quadriplegic or tetraplegic and paraplegic, which is just lower. Um, I think it's the T6, I think, is where the cutoff is, where it goes from paraplegic to, um, to uh, yeah, paraplegic to quadriplegic. Um, and that's just whether your arms are affected or not. So... You know, someone could be up and, you know, walking around but still be classed as a tetraplegic because uh-huh. if, if if their limbs are still uh, affected, mm. uh, it doesn't mean you have to be completely paralyzed. Yeah. So it could be someone who can move, you know, as well, who could move their arms 
but maybe doesn't have full function or full feeling, they're still, I guess, classed um, you know, as that quadriplegic. Because another question I was real interested in is you're in better shape than like most guys I know that can run around. How, how do you keep like cardiovascular health up or your weight in check? Uh, the weight's been a challenge, um, and it's something that... So right now, I'm probably the same weight I was as, you know, six foot two muscular pro athlete. I lost 20 kilograms of muscle um, directly after. I basically melted away within about a month after my accident, um, maybe two months. But it... Uh, well, I guess you literally weren't moving. Yeah, and so... Um, it's mainly diet for me. Um, I can't have a cardio exercise. Mm. It just doesn't really happen for me. I mean, I've got a, a machine at home that was supplied through ACC. Um, it's like a leg and arm cycle. So I can do one or the other. And they've got 24 different electrodes that stick to my, my muscle groups. Oh, that's cool. And um, they basically shock the muscle in the right order to help with the movement. Yeah. Um, so it'll like switch biceps on and off at the right time. And um, so I'll be there just kind of like cranking my arms. Um, and then, but it, for me, my shoulders, because I can kind of contribute the movement through my shoulders. And, and actually with the machine turned off, I can get the arm, like the, the, the cycle to go like a couple of full rotations mm-hmm. it's slow and I'm using my upper body and I'm leaning and I'm you know using my shoulders um, but it's yeah it's, it's something that I can contribute to the movement so the more I do that and the kind of more intense I can do that um, I feel like I can get a little bit of a heart rate um, rise but yeah it's, it's more diet that I have to kind of work on it and um which you know, I'm not. I'm not great at. Uh, you know, I call it balance. You know, I have a donut every now and again. Yeah, yeah. Chocolates. Um, you know, this or that. But uh, do you have to convince? Like, what if the caregivers like, no, nah, I'm not giving you that. It, no, it's yeah. It's mainly portion sizes is how I kind of keep things in control. But yeah, I've got. I've had to. I've got one caregiver. She she used to bring donuts, uh, like a little pack of Krispy Kremes or something, every Friday when she'd show up for work. Um, and my brother and I would just hoe into them. And uh, there was a time, you know, there's been several times I've had to tell her not to bring them. Like, <laughs> please. Like, if they're there, I will eat them. Like my, just my willpower is not strong enough. Um, so if you don't bring them, I can't eat them. Yeah. But if you bring them, I have to eat them. <laughs> um, and uh, But then, you know, she'll stop bringing them. And then, like, after a few weeks, then, like, maybe they'll... And that she'll bring, start bringing them again, or um, yeah. So she's actually been off um, off work for about a month. She sliced the top of her finger off, oh, um, which was pretty gnarly. Uh, not at work uh, with me, but um, yeah, lost a, just a couple of mil off the top, you know, top you of the finger. <laughs> but now she's back, and of course, first day back, she brings the big, the big, big box of Krispy Kreme. So. Um, it's good, you know. It's it's balance, um, you know. Good portion sizes, healthy meals, and do people have to then, feed you? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so that's kind of that's always a challenge as well. And you know, especially I like wearing a crispy white t shirt. Yeah, yeah. Of course, when you wear white, you're more likely to to spill stuff on it. Um, but yeah, I just 
there's some people as well I kind of resign to the fact that I'm probably going to get food on my on my <laughs> clothes and we'll we'll you know put put a tea towel down or something but yeah um no it's it's just another thing as well yeah that's one of the many things that you kind of don't really think of is like feeding yourself brushing your teeth like picking your nose like all yeah stuff what do you that do I can't do yeah uh, I mean I can scratch my face with this thing yeah so this is what I use to drive uh, drive my chair and I can kind of get up onto my forehead like I can get most of my forehead yeah. it's kind of hard like but then it also has to go back in my mouth afterwards so yeah it's, you don't want to get too deep yeah and then you know I don't want to like scratch my nose and then or oh, I could get something out of my eye oh, damn I got booger in my eye like <laughs> just got to be conscious of the order of doing things but um yeah, and that's where I kind of as well, I have to pick and choose, like, all right, how often do I want to call my caregiver? And, like, if I get an itch, itchy, you know, back of my head, like, okay, you know, and then then it becomes a challenge for me. Like, okay, can I overcome the itch? Yeah, yeah. You know, you just, um, but no, it's, uh, yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of things that I would have never thought of uh, when thinking of, you know, seeing someone in, in um, a chair like mine uh, that come with part of the injury, but... It's uh yeah, a big learning curve. Um What um what has this journey taught you about life? Like if you were to kind of just if you had any kind of not closing words, but if you you know, just yeah, what what's it taught you, do you think? Um A how just awesome and, and beautifully kind and caring people are or can be. Um and I think the biggest thing is just yeah, and under like how important, how crucial, and a really good understanding of ourselves and on an introspective kind of view of like our values and who we are and what drives us. Um, how valuable it would be to learn that stuff in school, mm. and and to to be able to because it took me six years to feel like I'd kind of conquered it uh, in a way. And and part of conquering it is knowing that you never actually conquer it. It's an ongoing thing. Yeah. But that's part of it. Like, you, you just you learn as you go. Um, but, yeah, I had to unlearn so much. And then in order to learn everything, I had to change my, my um, coding, if you will. And uh, But to learn that as we're growing up more, I think, would be so... Uh, so valuable um, to to just build our resilience and and our tools and our understanding of what matters and why and and who actually decides what it matter you know like what value it has and at the end of the day it kind of comes down to us and mm. and each of our own journeys and and um, what we want to decide is going to matter um, for us and what we put our energy into and. Uh, you know, we change over time. Like we, obviously, as as kids at school, we feel like we're under a lot of pressure to be cool and to, you know, um, fit in and and all that sort of stuff. And but no, it's um, yeah, it's just it's just stuff. I think that it'd be so valuable to to be able to learn about ourselves a bit more and and really just kind of understand how much control we do have over um, our own happiness and and learn what we don't have control of and it just is so valuable for 
saving energy and um, putting it to the right things. This is kind of a bit of a buzzy question, but if someone offered you the choice to go back and they told you this was going to happen, would you quit wakeboarding? Uh, depends. Yeah, like if it had happened early on. It's hard. Like I wouldn't trade the life that I had up until my accident if it meant going way back and, and not being able to live that from the beginning. Um, who knows what the alternative would have been. But, um, I, yeah, I, I wouldn't have wanted to do that because just I lived so much in those 10 years of traveling the world yeah. and got to experience so much. Um, but if someone were to say to give me the opportunity to go back and stop the injury from happening at the time, of course I would. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, and I don't, still don't quite understand pe- how people can say that they would. In saying that in the same breath, I am able to find gratitude for my injury having happened because of what it's meant, like because of what I've been able to do now and mm-hmm. able to positively impact people and in a much larger way than I would have been able to as a as a pro wakeboarder. Yeah. Um, you know, through speaking at schools and corporate events and, you know, um, just, yeah, like that, that's such a valuable thing and such a, um, you know, a thing that I'm really proud of being able to do and it's something that I think people should aspire to being able to have a positive impact totally. on the world more so than I want to make a lot of money and have a big house and a fancy car and yeah. that's what's going to make me happy. Like we need purpose and my purpose in life is become a lot greater because of my accident. So I can be grateful for that. But at the same time, I would change it you know, yeah, yeah, at yeah. that moment if I could. Totally. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird one. Um, I don't know if that means that I'm a little bit selfish if I would want to, you know, not have this injury and have less of a positive impact. But it, it's a weird one. I feel like I'm balancing in the middle of it somehow yeah. and I, I can't give like a one side or the other kind of answer on it. No, totally. And I think, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, even, have, don't even have an answer. Yeah. Um, would you, final question, would you encourage people to get into wakeboarding? Hundred percent. I mean, wakeboarding. Uh, uh, like my niece, actually, recently we got my my nieces um, a wakeboard to to use on their boat, um, and they one of them really got into it, and she you know got up um, and was having an awesome time. The other one didn't want to do it because Uncle Brad is in a wheelchair because he was wakeboarding. Wakeboarding and doing double backflips over a mega ramp are two different things. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, like, yes, you can have a, a injuries um, wakeboarding. You can also have injuries crossing the road. Um, yeah. Yeah. To limit risk is also to limit possibility. Yeah. Nice. I think that's a um, just a really strong kind of way to, I guess in this I guess yeah, yeah no it's amazing honestly I just I just want to say a massive thank you for coming on I like honestly blows my mind and the stuff you're doing is so inspirational and I'd encourage everyone to go out and get your book so it's called Owning It right yeah Owning It the ride that changed my life um, 
should be in most good bookstores. If it's not there, please ask them about it because then they'll order more copies. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I just, yeah, I, people enjoy the read. Probably I wouldn't be actively promoting it to anyone under the age of 16. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe 17, depending on, you know, who it is. But, uh, yeah, it's um, very open, raw, honest. Uh, you know, you'll have some laughs, you'll... Yeah, hopefully uh, go through a big emotional journey of growth that I went to through and um, go through it with me. And uh, but yeah, awesome, That's awesome. Well, thanks so much. Make sure guys check him out. So Insta and stuff. So Brad Smaller. Yep. Is that Smaller. German? Uh, uh, d- close Dutch. Dutch. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, so spelt S M E E L E. But yeah, because I always thought it was Smeal. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it is, but it's it's the way it's pronounced in in the Netherlands is Smeler. like Smeler. So yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much, mate. And you've officially now been keyed up. So Woo, thank you. <laughs> Cheers, guys. We'll see it. you next week. Cheers.